Welcome into another week of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you discussing all things IndyCar. Hello, Justin. Hello, Caleb. How are you, sir? Doing well. How about yourself? Living the dream. We got football. We got auto racing in the fall. Yes, and it's a positive negative when when you look at it from the NTT IndyCar Series perspective. Positive. I mean, a lot of fans also like football. Some of the drivers like football. Negative. Um, racing takes a backseat this time of year. Once you get to September, to college football, and obviously the NFL, and we'll see how that kind of impacts things on the TV side. At least for IndyCar, this race on NBC on Sunday at Portland is going to be in the later TV window uh, as the race starting after 3.30 Eastern. So that'll be toward the conclusion of some of the NFL games. So if your team plays an early game, at least you can catch most, if not all, of the IndyCar race uh, on Sunday. But TV side notwithstanding, taking a look at the championship and a a lot of storylines as we go into this one. It was kind of a, a quiet week, but we get to Portland and everything really resets and the focus is back on the championship once again Pato Award leads it by 10 points over Alex Below, Joseph Newgarden 22 points back Scott Dixon 43 points back lurking as he always does always lurking always lurch lurking and always the proverbial not favorite but the popular threat to win the championship even now so when you look at the top four guys, and I'm going to exclude Marcus Erickson because what is he, 60 points back or something like that? Uh, yeah, he's it, it's he's he's back. He's he's a ways behind. It, it would take an incredible effort to come back and really compete once you get to Long Beach, which is now the finale. Again, no double points this year, and normally IndyCar needs double points to have the championship go down to the final race. Kind of contrived. Some years, other years, it makes a huge difference. 2015 is the one that instantly comes to mind for me. But this year, I don't think that's going to matter. I think that's a good thing. I would agree. Most definitely. I think, you know, this is going to come down to the, the, the final race. And I expect it to be tight. I don't know if we'll have four guys still in competition. Probably maybe just two, maybe three at Long Beach. But, um, yeah, I feel like it's going to be a fitting finale where anything can happen. You know, so many people talk about, oh, it'd be great if they finish on an oval. I think you look at Long Beach and it's one of the best places to finish the season where, you know, some crazy stuff could happen. Marquee events, you're at least going to have some attrition, being it's a tight street course. Personally, I am so glad they don't have double points. I hate double points, period. I wish they'd take it away for the Indy 500 as well. I would agree. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of people would disagree with us on that one. I don't know. I, I I think a fair amount of people would agree with us there. Maybe it's maybe we're the vocal minority. I don't know. I, I just I don't think it impacts the race any. In fact, it impacts in a negative light the points race more than anything because nobody cares about points at the Indianapolis 500. Fans, drivers, teams, yet they make it a big deal when it comes to the points championship. Thankfully, a part-time guy won the race this year, so. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, you look at Graham Rahal, who finished 32nd, you know, and he was a guy that could have finished in the top three Mm -hmm. at the Indianapolis 500. And while he's probably not a championship contender, he's probably flirting with, you know, fifth or sixth at this point, you know, instead of, 
You know, he's only five points out of sixth. Imagine if he had finished in the top five at Indy, where he's at. He's probably between Scott Dixon and Marcus Erickson at this point, I would feel, in the points. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, if Graham Rahal, like you said, finishes a lot better than the Indy 500, I know it's coulda, woulda, shoulda, but I think he's there, like you said, with Erickson battling for fifth or sixth. That just shows the absurdity that is double points in an event that nobody cares about the points. Until afterwards. Yeah, I, <laughs> like, I, you know, yeah. I've never really thought about it like that. I mean, no one's racing for points when we think about that, but it's like literally no one cares about the points until after the fact because of how much it's worth. Absolutely. It's, you know, the, the casual fans don't obviously don't care about the points and the diehards don't care about the points and the teams don't care about the points. Yet IndyCar says, hey, this race means more in the points than anything else. Makes no sense. So back to Portland, Portland International Raceway, the site of the Portland Grand Prix this weekend. And I want to take a look at the driver performance. Now, Alex Pillow, we exclude him because, well, he hasn't raced at that track. Pato Award has not raced at the track for IndyCar. Now, he did win and sweep the weekend for Andretti Autosport in Indy Lights in 2018 when he went on to win the Indy Lights title that year over Colton Herta. And then you look at some of the more experienced guys, Joseph Newgarden. Uh, he has two starts there, a 10th place in 2018 and a 5th place in 2019. Scott Dixon with a handful of starts. Now this goes back to the kart era. So PacWest Racing was his first start. Hey, hey. Portland. You remember PacWest. I do. I It was one of my faves. But in all, in all honesty, John Oreovitz, who was a part of PacWest Racing, has written a book about PacWest uh-huh. Racing, and I seriously, in all honesty, would love to read that book. I have not read it. I finished his indie split book, which was fascinating because you kind of forget there was a first split back in the late seventies before yeah. the 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 big one happened in ninety six. So Dixon with PacWest in two thousand one in cart was seventh at Portland. Then in two thousand two, he was with PacWest, which. And then he switched to Chip Ganassi Racing after three races into the season. And at Portland, also seventh, so consistent. And then in IndyCar, Dixon was fifth place in 2018, the year he won the championship. And then in 2019, he was 16th. Obviously, no one started last year due to the pandemic. So that's a a rundown of the starts for the championship contenders. Again, Marcus Erickson kind of out of it as he is, what, 60 points back, so right. a lot more ground to make up. I feel like past results, I'm not sure, are indicative of what could possibly happen this week. A, it's a small sample size in terms of the modern era of running at Portland, and you've had a year off from going there. So in terms of tire compounds and all that, you know, where are we at? The setups of these cars. I really think it's going to be a fascinating weekend as – certain cars and teams chase to find the right setup and i think you know amongst the top three four drivers the team that can get the closest is really going to have an advantage because i feel like you're going to have some a couple really good cars here and then some other guys that just are going to completely whiff with setup also have not raced there with the aero screen good point yeah absolutely and and that seems to be a factor i mean some drivers have thrived some have regressed some, I mean, have stayed. I mean, I feel like Newgarden and Dixon have been completely unaffected by the aero screen. But, but other guys, I mean, it, Simon Passion and Alexander Rossi have struggled. 
since the era screen came into play. I mean, Rossi hasn't won a race. Pagenaud has, but he hasn't been, you know, to the level that he was in 2019, obviously. Right. And it's just, for others, it's a mixed bag. Like, Ray Hall, it's kind of mixed. Will Power, mixed. Herta, we don't really have a comparison, right? So, or it, well, I guess we have the one year, but I, I mean, it's kind of hard to judge off that one year. It's definitely affected how you set up the car. I think, you know, how drivers like their car to be in terms of setup, it's, it's impacted that, particularly... Uh, some some drivers more than others, most definitely. So taking a look at the weekend schedule for this event, all these times are Eastern, mind you. So thank you for that for clarifying <laughs> because Lord it knows. gets confusing. Yes. <laughs> so practice one for IndyCar is noon to one fifteen on Saturday. Again, a two day event, which also, you know, we talked before the show about how normally this would be a three day event. IndyCar has a key spot with a race in Portland in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, NASCAR doesn't have a race out there. You could draw fans, obviously, from Portland, but also Northern California, Seattle, probably even Canada for this event. And when it's a two-day event, I mean, does that hurt the promoter? Does it help the promoter? I understand there are going to be more costs added with Friday, you know, security and just running everything, but the the loss of revenue for a day... That can't be helpful, right? No, but I I feel at the same time, people are still going to stay. If you're camping or whatever, you're staying multiple nights. You're getting there Friday now, and you're ready for uh, you know practice one at noon on Saturday. So I don't know how much it impacts, really. It probably does somewhat, but I think going from three to two, I, I, you know, when it's a three-day event, I'm not sure how many people are arriving on Thursday to be ready for Friday as That's opposed true. to Friday, Friday being for the, Saturday. the travel day for fans. Obviously, yeah. the teams, it's Thursday in yeah, that aspect. absolutely. So it's a little tidier, and, you know, who might, you, you know are they saving money because they don't have to have track officials there for three days instead of just two days. So uh, who knows? It may even out, but hopefully we have a decent crowd at Portland. Yeah, I, I think this is an important event. I mean, it's an exciting event from the recent races that we've had as far as the on-track action. As far as a road course goes, yeah, it's it's kind of a weird layout because it's pretty flat, um, but also fans can see a lot of the course, and it's a, a rare racetrack that actually is easily accessible uh, from a major city. I mean, you can take the Max, which is like their light rail, to the track, so <laughs> it's easy to get to. Parking, I know, is already sold out for this event. So well, nice. clearly there are good signs here that it will be successful this year. And the fact that it wasn't around last year, I think, helps uh, people that want to see the race uh, after a one-year absence. So hopefully everything goes well at Portland. Can we just find a title sponsor, please? Yeah, only race on the schedule without a title sponsor. And, hey, we can get all those Drive to Survive F1 fans who crossed over due to Roman Grosjean, they'll, they're able able to come this weekend. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Come on, fill fill the crowd. You know, I know they're at, what, they're at Monza this weekend. Yeah. But it's fine. Just go to Portland. <laughs> so practice one Saturday, noon to one fifteen Eastern on Saturday. Then uh, qualifying 315 to 430 Eastern. And then it's kind of weird. There's actually another practice um, from 615 to 645 on Saturday evening. And then on Very short. Sunday, you'll have uh, – the TV window from 3 to 6 on Big NBC. Also, I don't know if you caught this, Justin. 
this event is, is is supposed to be streamed on Peacock. Really? Yeah, according to the uh, release that I saw from uh, in, IndyCar, uh, in, IndyCar on NBC, this event is supposed to be streamed on Peacock. Now, I haven't seen anything really, you know, a lot of attention on that. It, it's kind of been limited, but... Of course, Indy 44, who always finds everything. Our peacock expert, among other things. Yeah. Um, he retweeted something the other day. And this is from NBC Sports Group Press Box. So it's their release. And it talks about all their racing coverage and NASCAR. And then for IndyCar. So this is what it says on Sunday. Uh, the race is on the pre-race is at three on NBC and Peacock. The actual race, like race coverage, right? TV window, three thirty. Green flag is supposed to be, I think, like three forty-two p.m. Eastern time, which is a long pre-race, which is your fave. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then there will be a post-race on NBC and Peacock starting at approximately five thirty. So again, the TV window goes till six. So this is the first time that we'll see a race streamed live on Peacock, at least according to the press release, unless there's some sort of typo. I hope not, because when it's listed on you know the broadcast, Peacock is <laughs> yeah. in multiple places. So hopefully they just didn't copy and paste it into the race um, you know, little slot there right between NBC and Sirius XM. But it's going to be a very interesting weekend for Peacock, Caleb, when we look at Saturday's Notre Dame game. Oh, yeah. That will be exclusively <laughs> on Peacock. So, you know, the, the the great debate on on streaming as opposed to live sports over the air, there's going to be a lot of eyes on that Notre Dame-Toledo game and see what the viewership is there. Because I think Peacock and, and NBC want to be you know, ahead of the curve, so to speak, with this. And it's it's a great experiment. I don't know how, you know, the fact that it's a Mac school, a Mac team, I, I just don't know how big of an impact you're going to have. But, you know, Notre Dame fans, they want to watch the Irish no matter who they're playing. So I think watching what that number is, what the impact is of Peacock exclusively showing Notre Dame on Saturday, not just affects IndyCar in the short term, but obviously next year when we have, a, you know, the two races, they're going to be on Peacock only. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that was something I definitely wanted to get to. You know, we'll have some sort of idea. I mean, right? You would think they'll release something out of it. I well, <laughs> unless I it's mean, terrible. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I think we'll know early in the week just how well it went. Either we're going to be similar to IndyCar ratings, right? We, you know, the longer we go in the week that we haven't heard anything, probably the 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 worse they are. You know, so. If it's something that Peacock and NBC are touting early next week, they say, hey, we had X amount of millions watching that or picked up X amount of subscriptions or whatever, uh, then it's a good news thing for Peacock. But if we don't haven't heard anything, you know, Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, then probably didn't go as well as expected. Well, and for IndyCar races, and correct me if I'm off, but I mean, you're getting like, what, ten to 15,000 streaming as far as the total audience yeah, delivery it's, when it's, they do i mean it's, it's very not huge. low now for this notre dame event i mean they better hope they're pulling in a couple million 
Oh, I don't know about that much. I was I was gonna guess a better hope they're pulling in at least half a million. I feel like you have to get more than that if you're Notre Dame, right? I mean, yeah. They, I mean, it, like you said though, it's a game against Toledo. It's a Mac school that Notre Dame should be pretty handily. Um, I mean, they peaked. Granted, it was a prime time against Florida State last Saturday night at close to nine million viewership. Mm-hmm. So you're saying one eighteenth of that viewership will translate over to Peacock. I I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying I, like that. I just I don't know how much because think about it. Notre Dame fans, there are some fans who will get Peacock because I mean the cost is cheap. It's five bucks a month. I know they, they have a special intro offer for Notre Dame fans who are signing up. Um, and, you, I th- you know, you can cancel after a month. Yeah. But uh, I, I to me, it's you got to be on both platforms still. I mean, it, this is a – I understand NBC doing this and Notre Dame agreeing to it just because it's not a marquee game. Right. But this is a big risk, too, on NBC's part. Now, at least for IndyCar – by the time we get through Saturday and we'll hear from Notre Dame fans, I'm sure on social media on, you know, if they're still mad about it or if they thought the experience was good, then we'll at least have some sort of preview on what we think Sunday about the feed. Now, granted, the feed on Sunday is not really going to be any different from what you experience yeah. on NBC. I mean, there will be ads at the same time. I mean, it's not going to be like qualifying where you watch on Peacock and there are no ads right. when you watch live. Right. Uh, you know, th- this is the thing when you look at Notre Dame and how it affects uh, IndyCar is the last couple of years, Notre Dame had that one game that was on NBCSN. Yeah. That's basically what this game is. And now with NBCSN going away next year, uh, P- you know, NBC is looking at it, okay, if we continue this model and one Notre Dame game is on an alternate channel, do we put it on USA or do we push people towards the stream? And I think that's exactly what they're trying to do here. And I think it impacts IndyCar going forward because if it's a success in NBC's mind uh, in terms of what they get, then I think they're going to be more inclined to put live events on there. And, you know, then you're not looking at it and going, you know, maybe it becomes more accepted. So, you know, the, the, the certain amount of the fan base is going, I can't believe they're putting two IndyCar races on stream only. Well, that's going to happen. And, what I will be curious to see this weekend is if NBC promotes the Notre Dame game not just on their channel, but what if they buy advertising or have the message out there on other channels that are airing college football, like, hey, looking for the Irish, catch them on Peacock, Well, you know, sign up here or whatever. I, you know, I don't think so because that's cross-promotion amongst networks, True, which you're true. not going to see. I so mean, it, it, it's kind of hard, I guess what I'm saying, it's hard to get you know promote it out there We'll see if they promote it heavily, you know, across other events. But it's just, I, I don't know. They haven't promoted this being on Peacock for IndyCar on Sunday at all. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's just because it's not a stream-only uh, situation that it's not. But this could be NBC testing what will be a part of Peacock next year, as far as we understand, right? Yeah, I mean, this is a trial run, essentially, with this Notre Dame football game. Well, I'm talking IndyCar, too, because IndyCar is going to have their Well, for next year. Yeah. Yeah. So IndyCar may just be doing this, and you know, whether it's a one-time thing this week or maybe we see it all three races the rest of the year is, okay, this is something we're going to be offering in 2022. Let's work out the kinks before we get into 2022 next year. So... 
Uh, you know, to me, everybody's got their different opinion with the streaming services and Peacock. I personally do not see the value in Peacock to keep it after the IndyCar season's over. I will be canceling Peacock until March. I will plan to as long as I get through the shows that I've been binging See, on there. I mean, so if, as long as you're, yeah. you've seen shows, but yeah, it's it's all about that original programming to me, and we're not seeing enough live content uh, for sports to push people into that realm for sports. It, it's still original content is driving that consistent monthly uh, subscriptions to those services. Not sports. Not yeah. yet, at yeah, least. Not yet. So that will be a storyline to watch. Some other things, this courtesy of Chad200 on Twitter. Three key stats for the Portland GP. Uh, Power has a pull win in 63 laps led in the two Portland races. Rail has completed just four of the 210 total laps. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, Bourdais finished on the podium in five of his last six races here. Two wins, 148 laps led. Now, granted, a lot of those came in the champ car era from what 2003 to 2007 right uh when he where was he pretty much dominated for, yeah newman haas yeah best car in a smaller field but still you got to win and he's definitely done that uh over the course of his career so things to watch there on that side also uh some other notes when when you're looking at portland on the schedule this from trackside online top five in natural terrain road course points in 2021 who would you guess is number one What's the question? I'm sorry, I missed the it. The top five in points on natural terrain road courses. This year? Yeah, this year. All right, natural terrain road courses. Let me think. I'm going to go, who's been doing well? Polo? Mm-hmm. Because he won two of them, right? Yep. So he's one? He is number one. All right. Number uh, two. Go Scott Dixon, too? Nope. Hmm. Let's see. Newgarden? Uh, no, he's not in the top five. Wow, he's a loser. Um, <laughs> is it somebody in comp in not in the championship hunt? Not in the championship hunt. So I'll go Will Power. Uh, Power's third. Okay, with 153. This who, driver has 160. Who the heck is uh, Colton Herta? Uh, no. Um. Jimmy Johnson. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Good one. I, uh, Do you want me v- to tell you? Renus VK? Uh, no. I don't know. Who is it? Grosjean. Really? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Very. So Powers is third, 153. Okay. In fourth place, you've not mentioned this driver yet, a driver that is well thought of but has struggled. Rossi. Yeah. 136. And then... There's actually a tie for fourth. Scott Dixon also with 136 points. Again, that on natural terrain road course points on the year, courtesy of Trackside Online. Uh, taking a look at the spotter guide, there's, I think, some also key things that you need to know going into the weekend because, well, it gets confusing. Graham Rahal with a sweet-looking car, the Total car. Uh, that'll be red, kind of like Bobby Rahal's Budweiser cars uh, from uh, back nice. in the day. So that looks really cool. You know, I ju- it just connected with me that Bobby ran a Budweiser car at one point and a Miller car at one point. Yes, and the I Miller just, car. I just made that connection. Miller car was great. I had an old slot car. It was a slot track, uh-huh. and my dad's uh, old slot track. And I remember, I don't know how we got them, 
who got them for us. It could have been for my birthday or something, but I had Bobby Ray Hall's Miller Genuine Draft car and the Pennzoil car were the two. Um, and man, I, I I had hours of fun with those things, man. Racing on a slot slot uh, track, man. Those were the days. Those old school, man. Gotta love uh, the what early nineties, early to the oh 90s. yeah, man. Awesome. <laughs> Uh, Scott McLaughlin back in the PPG car. Uh, Elio Castroneves will be participating in the 06. This is where it gets confusing. Alex Blow and Scott Dixon, both in the PNC Bank car. Yeah, how so, about that? And they didn't even like switch up the um, like the scheme as far as yeah, like one being more orange and one being more blue. Yeah, they're pretty very the similar. front wing in plates and the rear wing difference below is blue. And Dixon is orange. That's that's the only way to tell. Yep. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Rossi back in the Napa car. Hinchcliffe will be in the Capstone car. Oliver Askew participating. He'll be in the High V car. Um, Jimmy Johnson with the Yellow Jacket Carvana. Yeah, car. the final vote it of the year. Looks really cool. Which you know, say what you want about <laughs> Jimmy Johnson's driving abilities, but his liveries have been on point all year. And then uh, we'll have Callum Eilat in the number 77 Hinkos Hollinger car making his IndyCar debut. 27 entries for this one. And uh, that will be curious to see how that that operation goes. Yes. um, I I feel like it's similar to, you know, a Top Gun or whatever. Just come in. Let's finish all the laps we possibly can. Pit stops, all that. Because we kind of, you know... Hunkos isn't necessarily a very experienced team, you know, even before this. It's not like, oh, you know, these guys have had a lot of action. They just haven't recently been around. They're still learning in a lot of ways. So they can run a smooth race, keep the car on track, smooth pit stops, learn a lot. It'll be a good first race for them. All right. So I think that covers it as far as Portland goes. Uh, Some notes on another upcoming race. Uh, Long Beach announced they will hold the all-driver autograph session in the IndyCar paddock on Friday, September 24th, 4.30 to 5.30. Of course, that's Pacific time. Paddock will be open to all spectators at that time. They have the weekend schedule posted on their site. Another note for this weekend is that uh, Pato Award. I don't know if you saw this, Justin. I had to translate the tweet. But okay. So IndyCar this- races are... On, in Mexico and other countries in Latin America on Claro Video. However, he stepped up and is making sure that the practice sessions and qualifying for this weekend will all be on his platform, Pato TV. So he paid $100,000 That is no out of joke. pocket. So that all the sessions with races included for the last three races of the year can be seen on Pato TV in Mexico. And Pato also says he is working to get back on open TV soon. That's via ESPN MX, so ESPN Deportes. Again, got to translate some stuff. But uh, like you said, no joke, pretty, pretty cool stuff that he's doing that. And we got to think, okay, so what do you think Pato Award's making? What's his salary? A million dollars? Probably a little over a million. Like, the, effectively one-tenth of his salary. Yeah. He's fronting for this. And we mentioned it, you know, I think it was last week, Caleb, about 
you know, are we seeing the impact yet in Mexico from Pato Awards performance? And we feel it's kind of an underwhelming so far, but this could go a long way towards building the momentum. Yeah, and I think him winning the championship, I think I said this last week, may be what it takes to really get that to, to take off. Yeah. But the fact that he's making this accessible for fans, I mean, I think that's a, a huge deal. And, you know, hopefully that is something that will, will pay off long term, a.k.a. winning the championship. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. And then hopefully sticking around and not going to Formula One anytime <laughs> soon. Uh, yeah. So speaking of uh, Formula One and, and silly season, we'll start uh, a lot of things settled in F1 that impact IndyCar when you look at silly season. They robbed us of Alex Albon. Yeah. So Alex Albon going to Williams, so he'll return to F1. I don't think Albon was ever a legitimate candidate. However, Will Buxton uh, tweeted that Albon had options for a number of different championships, including IndyCar. Hmm. However, obviously he is back in F1 with Williams. Nicholas Latifi will be his teammate, so Latifi stays at Williams. However, IndyCar Deep Throat telling us that Latifi could be an option for Carlin, but this is obviously not next year, but in the future starting in 2023. So IndyCar Deep Throat says that uh, sounds like Latifi next year could be his final year in F1. And he's Canadian, so, I mean, it would be a connection. You know, that's an interesting point because I was thinking about this, I don't know, randomly while I was driving, but with the inevitable departures of Dalton Kellett and James Hinchcliffe from their seats, Mm -hmm. will we have a full-time Canadian driver in the series next year? Is that... Is De- is De- Fra- Devlin De Francesco Canadian? Yeah, he is. I okay. believe so. So, but in terms of proven, talented, race winning drivers, not saying Devlin De Francesco isn't talented. It's just you know proven drivers that have wins. There's a void potentially there, and when you consider Canada one of your, uh, you know, hotbeds of IndyCar racing, it's not Mexico in terms of you better have a Mexican driver to be popular, but it is kind of important. I mean, it's helpful if you're going to have a race in Toronto every year. Yeah. <laughs> which we still don't know about for next year. Right. But, you know, at the very least, anywhere, you know, in, in Canada, at least at this point. If, if they don't have a, you know, a driver to root for that has a chance to win, you know, how many fans really start to wane in terms of their interest? And keeping it in F1, there are reports that uh, Michael Andretti is purchasing a an F1 team, and according to Nathan Brown and Jenna Fryer of uh, Nathan Brown, the Indy Star, Jenna Fryer, the AP, uh, Nathan Brown says uh, a statement from Andretti, entering Formula 1 has been of interest to Michael and the team for some time. We've explored many options over the years, but at this time we have nothing new to report and follows that up uh, with, our passion is racing in all forms and we never say never. Should a proper opportunity come along to take the Andretti name back to F1, we jump at it. As of now, that opportunity has not fallen in our laps. Our focus remains on our seven disciplines of competition. That tells me nobody right now is ready to sell yet. Yeah. Um, And and Jenna Fryer adds to this. uh, Michael told me at Gateway last month he'd love to buy an F1 team, but none were for sale at time he said this. And reports of something imminent are greatly exaggerated. And she also followed that up. I also asked if his SPAC, which is WNNR, and a SPAC is like a what a, a private IPO in, in essentially Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> we, I mean, we're not experts, but if you're a business expert who can explain it 
to uh, us common peasant folk in, in a way that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she says the SPAC launched in February. Uh, this is if the SPAC had raised the $250 million needed to get in the F1 buying game. He said at Gateway last month, not yet. So doesn't have the funding. Again, though, that was, what, three weeks ago? Not that I would think this would change in a matter of three weeks. Right. But you never know. I feel at some point in Andretti gets into the F1 game, I feel like next year, and we've talked about it before, Caleb, it's pivotal for F1 drivers, for F1 teams, for F1 financiers with these teams and everybody you know being told from f1 hey it's going to be more competitive next year right if it's not then i think you'd see a couple teams going up for sale but i think everybody are in and around f1 is all in for 2022 because they've been promised that things are changing and then getting to silly season stuff uh nathan brown of the indy star with an article on uh, silly season update and really the thing that stuck out to me wasn't anything that was necessarily groundbreaking but he mentions in the article four Indy Lights drivers uh, are a part of the prospective 2022 IndyCar pool so we have David Malukas he's leading the championship not a surprise Kyle Kirkwood not a surprise not a surprise Linus Lundquist Maybe slightly. And then Devlin DeFrancesco, which we know he's on the list because he brings significant backing, and that's why he's been mentioned for a seat at Andretti. Yes. And you look at the rundown, we don't know you know, either driver for Foyt. Bourdais would be back if the team wants him, and then for the second car, no clue. I mean, Tatiana Calderon tested. Dalton Kellett currently has that seat. Charlie Kimmel, who's racing at Long Beach, could come into play. Could be someone completely different. Um, but I would say they'll keep the lineup as long as they want Bourdais back, which I would think they would. And then if Kellett continues to bring the budget, I would think they'll bring him back as well. It's a two-driver race for the championship uh, with Kirkwood and Malukas. So one of those definitely. I feel the other one will. Uh, Lundquist, is he ready? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. As far as lights, guys. Um, yeah, but, you know, Devlin Francesco, uh, you know, is he a guy that has proven himself to graduate to IndyCar, or does he just bring a lot of finance? Yes. I, I lean towards <laughs> the latter, to be honest. Um, he sits fifth in the season standings in Indy Lights, and he's only nine points ahead of seventh. So I, I really don't know where, you know, where does he fit in the IndyCar? It's particularly just how competitive it is at the upper level now in IndyCar. I think you're going to be very, very good to, A, graduate from Indy Lights to IndyCar without a scholarship, and, you know, B, you know, where do you find yourself? Because there's a lot of talented drivers out there looking for rides. Then this was also interesting for the Carlin ride. Now, we know Max Chilton... It's up in the air if he wants to come back and race next year. But he says he wants a teammate, right? So how would that teammate come to fruition now? We assume Carlin has connections in Europe. Could they just bring a guy from F2 who's not getting a shot at F1 because there aren't open seats? Well, 
Brown mentions a possible solution is a partnership with HMD Motorsports, the team owned by Henry Malukas, the father of Lights Points leader David Malukas. So HMD is running four Lights cars. They also run Linus Lundquist as well, who is, again, we mentioned earlier, a candidate to move up. Now, the top three drivers in Lights get a test with an IndyCar team at the end of the season. Obviously, only the top finisher gets that scholarship, which is... It's gone up from the million dollars. Is it closer to like 1.2? Yeah, I believe so. It's all been bumped. Like every every scholarship got a bit of a bump financially. And, and this is where I mentioned the four drivers. Series sources have told Indy Star to expect four lights drivers to graduate to IndyCar for 2022, meaning almost certainly both the aforementioned drivers. So that's Lundquist, Malukas. We obviously expect Kirkwood uh, to be there and DeFrancesco is the the other guy just because of the budget from what we understand yeah correct so um yeah I, there's there's a lot of names but man are there, there going to be that many seats available for all those indie lights guys on top of the other guys that you know from europe and and other and everywhere else that you know are being names thrown out there then we get to chip ganassi we know they'll have dixon they'll have polo We'll have Jimmy Johnson in the 48 and possibly Kanan if Johnson doesn't run the full season. But we still don't know about Marcus Erickson. And it's been kind of surprising that he is not back, especially after it was announced he signed a multi-year deal with the team uh, after last year, Hmm. according to Brown. But what Brown says, uh, that Erickson may have lost some of his sponsorship and is at risk of losing his seat uh, Brown says it would seem mighty stingy for a team owner who just made tens of millions off the sale of his NASCAR team to boot his title continuing any car driver of a few million dollars on the short term. And, you know, it, it makes you wonder why this still hasn't been finalized. Did Erickson lose that Husky chocolate sponsorship mm, for next year? Maybe, but, you know, are, are they focusing more on F1? Because they're on F1 cars. Yeah, Husky they're on chocolate. At least last I remember, they're on McLaren. I don't know if they still are. I think that sounds right. So, um, yeah, it would be interesting if he did, considering he's got two wins. Like, I know, you know, sponsorships can be fickle, but you know, he's had his his best career or best season by far in IndyCar, and yet he's losing his primary backer. I mean, also you look at it, and IndyCar on the TV side has had their best season yeah. in a long time, as far as making it sellable for next year. Absolutely. But kind Erickson says, uh, he said after Nashville, uh, nothing is done yet. So as far as the contract goes, but that is just something to keep an eye on. I think that's, it is surprising, but it, my guess is it's sponsor related. Just like we we heard the NTT data was scaling back this year yep. for the 10 car, and they definitely have. I mean, that's been noticeable. He's run the NTT data car, you know, a handful of times, but... Was it like 10 races total, uh, if, if that? Yeah, if if that. So that's another thing to keep an eye on. Then you get to Dale Coyne on his list, and we have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> I am surprised with the amount of questions we still have. Um, it's It's not like F1. I know, I understand where, you know, basically your lineup for next year is set 
you know, with still with five, six, seven races to go, it feels like. But at the same time, I feel like, you know, we expected this this break, this two, you know, couple week break before the final three races, we'd find out a lot. And here we are with the same questions we had three, four it, weeks ago. It's very surprising. You kind of wonder, like, if we don't get some answers after this weekend, is it going to happen until Long Beach? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I still feel like we will at least get some room, more rumors and maybe some scuttlebutt coming out of this weekend because there's always people talking when everybody's at the racetrack. But at the same time, I, I expected even this week, you know, at least some wild rumors out there or maybe some clarity, but we've gotten nothing. So Brown had this to say on Dale Coin Racing. Uh, Sato would need a Honda team if he is out at Ray Hall, which we don't know. We don't expect that, but... I mean, he's not re-signed there as far as we know, officially. Yeah. Uh, he'd be a solid option. Hunter A and Hinchcliffe as well. And then in the Vassar-Sullivan seat, um, Brown says, with it seeming unlikely for Kirkwood to land one of the open seats at Andretti, his history racing the last two years in sports cars with Vassar-Sullivan would make the team a familiar fit. I mean, if you can snag Kirkwood and Andretti lets him get away for some reason, I simply yeah, it, cannot understand. I, I mean, would he, not fathom that. If he wins the Lights title, I mean, he brings over a million dollars. He gets a essentially a free test, and you're going to let him get away? Uh, clearly, there's something under the surface that we don't know, and I know there have been rumors that something about he, he didn't, you know, wasn't, good with a sponsor or something i don't know i don't it's all speculation yeah i mean maybe, but it's just it's, he, it's puzzling did he make angry the wrong people within andretti autosport I, I don't know it just seems like his talent is way too much for andretti autosport to allow him to leave without something going on yeah this is on the level of you know they had herda and pato teaming up with that essentially satellite team and then they couldn't get the the sponsorship but at least they kept herda i mean i I would put kirkwood on the level of those guys coming into the sport yeah most definitely so that that's just one of the storylines i feel like we're we're sitting on is you know what is going on with kirkwood i I don't know hopefully we get some answers and then with uh, ed carpenter racing obviously renus vk is back ed carpenter will run the ovals it could become a full-time seat in the 20 or whatever number that they run uh, if Connor Daly gets support from the U.S. Air Force and then Ed could run the uh, ovals. So we'll see. I think it really depends on performance in the last couple of races for Daly. And, again, that would set that up. Otherwise, could Hunter Ray come in or Oliver Askew you know, but that probably wouldn't be a full-time seat for that driver. It'd probably be the shared ride once again. Yeah. Uh, you know, back-to-back 11th places, you know, he's trending in the right direction, but is it too little too late for Connor Daly? It's it's a critical time. <laughs> it, it most definitely is, but money can talk, and if he finds enough money, you know, it can, it can land you something, or at least a partial. And at the very least, I hope Connor Daly... I feel like he gets a 500 ride, right, next oh, year? for sure. Um, I wouldn't mind, you know, seeing him as an oval specialist for somebody. 
uh, maybe you know a three or four race deal. I just right now I'm not sure there's a full time ride out there for Connor Daly. And then you have Hunkos Hollinger Racing, the, hey! the new team. And we don't expect Callum Eilat to be at Laguna Seca in Long Beach due to his schedule. But remember that tweet we mentioned the other week about a reporter mentioning that Eilat signed elsewhere for 2022, likely IndyCar? Yes. Could he already be locked into this team? Then why not announce it? Come on, we need some announcements, right? So we for can real. start filling this grid in for 2022. Maybe, um, maybe teams are waiting. Maybe they want to announce things at tracks. Maybe they, maybe we could see some uh, some press conferences this weekend to announce some things. Yeah, uh, which gets to the the next teams: Meyer Shank Racing, Ray Hall Letterman, Landigan Racing. Those I think are the teams that everyone is waiting on before stuff gets done. I mean, if Pagano goes to Meyer Shank, like expected. Then you would think Penske would go down to three cars. You would think that Jack Harvey, Graham Rahal, Takuma Sato would be at Rahal. It just, <laughs> we're waiting, I think, on those two teams to finalize everything, and then stuff will fall into place. At least that's how I feel. Similar to, to F1, we just need a domino to fall. We need um, the Botas announcement, so then everything else falls into place, right? Yeah, yeah. That's just what we're waiting for. Something to really tip the scales to really get this these dominoes falling. Another IndyCar note, uh, this from Marshall Prude of Racer.com. Veteran IMSA racer Harry Tinknell ponders whether IndyCar could be a future option. Again, his Mazda program coming to an end after the season. He's run with IndyCar drivers with Ganassi on the sports car side, back with Dixon and I want to say Briscoe, and then with Hunter Ray for Mazda in the past. I'm I don't know. I I would be surprised on this one. It seems like he's just trying to get his name out there. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that uh, want an IndyCar ride or are interested in IndyCar ride. This one just didn't strike me as particularly uh, viable or likely. And then Indy Lights actually, I think, has the more exciting Silly Season stuff. Yeah. When you, when you look at it within the last week. So you have uh, Hunkos Hollinger Racing. They added Rasmus Lind to their Indy Lights team for the final six races of the season. So he is back. He's had success in lights in the past. And also, uh, Global Racing Group, Benjamin Peterson, uh, the driver, he's partnered with Oberto Snacks. So Oberto Beef Jerky is back. Yeah, it was with Mario for, or Marco. Marco, right? yeah. And then also. Let's see. You have, I feel like they're, oh, uh, Alex Peroni will not take part in the last three rounds of Indy Lights, saying this year hasn't lived up to our expectations in racing performance. He plans to return to Europe, courtesy of F1 Feeder Series 1 Well, I on mean, Twitter. And you're seeing that. He's, he's what, the third driver, maybe, to call it quits yeah. in Indy Lights? Who, who else announced they were just going to focus on... Um, <sighs> can't remember who that was. Was it Stingray um, Rob? Uh, it was Lestoshkin was one of them, right? Okay. Um, I don't know. if it Was it Stingray? Or um, Antonio Cerevalli, was it was him? No. So you have Peroni's out. Peroni's and, out. And then, yeah, Lestoshkin didn't compete in a couple of the races. And you have Manuel Suleiman. I'm sure I butchered that. He's from Mexico. He's competing in uh, 
rounds 15 and 16, so that is this weekend at Portland for HMD Motorsports. And, yeah, I feel like someone else – oh, Toby Sowery stepped away. That's right. That's Toby who it Sowery. was. Rasmus Lind is filling in for him with, with whom goes. So it's it's tough because, you know, these drivers, they bring a budget and they only have X amount of money to spend. And if they're staring at something and they're saying, look, I'm out of the championship and competitively I don't know if I can win another race and is it worth it compared to saving my money and looking to what I'm going to do next year, I don't blame any of these drivers for doing what they're doing because – you know, they money talks, especially at that level. And if you don't have it, you're not getting a seat. So um, it, it stinks, but that's kind of the way it works, particularly at this point of the season, where certain drivers are saying, you know, I'm, I'm cutting and running. I have to save my money for 22. And then another silly season note for uh, really the future Michelle Jordan Jr. You know, remember how he partnered with Andretti? Uh, auto sports. So, right, I found that uh, article pretty interesting. Yeah, Joey Barnes of Racer.com, the Andretti partnership with the Super Copa Championship in Mexico, and kind of looking at it as a pipeline. You know, no real direct things to take away as far as something for next year, but this is a long-term play, and uh, with that driver for them as uh, Jordan Jr. competes uh, as well, but they have Salvador de Alba Jr. and he did an Indy Lights test at Mid Ohio earlier back in July, and he's competing in that Super Copa Championship as well. So that's something to keep an eye on. You know, could he run in lights next year? That I would think that's a strong possibility. Uh, yeah, and and I it it was an interesting article because it kind of went into details on just what that partnership could mean going forward. We all suspected. That's eventually going to be an IndyCar pipeline for Andretti Autosport and Michel Jourdain, and whether that means Michel Jourdain becomes some sort of satellite team of Andretti or or all that, it it, it was uh, all that's kind of uncertain. But you know that's potentially what could happen. But it's definitely encouraging to see exactly what they're trying to do with that partnership, and it's to bring more Mexican drivers into the IndyCar series or the road to Indy, and that can only benefit particularly with the hope that we have a race in Mexico in the near future. Yeah, which was it last week we talked about that, that Mexico is a possibility that we heard from IndyCar Deep Throat for maybe next year, but more likely 2023. Does that sound right? Hopefully. Yeah, and, and then we looked at possible tracks and you know, Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez, which is the F1 circuit in Mexico City, you know, that's been talked about in years past for IndyCar. IndyCar used to race, what, in Monterey, and I don't think that's an option no. anymore. And then the other one would be the Oval in Puebla, which is in central New Mexico, about a 1.25-mile oval. Probably would need a lot of upgrades, safer barrier being one of them. But could that be a way to get one another oval race? But also, the time zone is great for IndyCar. I mean, that's why having more races in Canada and Mexico, you know, is not only an option because of having Canadian and Mexican drivers, but also because you're not going to lose your TV fan base. I mean, that that yeah. was the great part about the Brazil race that they had about a decade ago is that it was an hour ahead of Eastern time. Not a huge deal as far as TV goes. No doubt. I mean, to a much lesser extent, it's similar to the Olympics in that respect. You're not watching a race 
from halfway around the world at the crack of dawn or trying to avoid to see what happened and watch it later in the day. So uh, hopefully it becomes to, to fruition, but it may rely on on this Michelle Jourdain thing and, and really building a pipeline and getting multiple Mexican drivers in the series and really building up the excitement. I, I feel like you don't want to go back to Mexico too early and it flounder and not be a success. And then when you do get more Mexican blood in the series, you know, you, you've already tried it and failed. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, to me, I think it'll take Pato Award winning the championship whether it's this year, next year, for talks to really move forward because they have to feel like, A, he's a long-term guy, which we know he'll test an F1 car at the end of this season by winning a race. And since he's won two so far, who knows what that means. Yeah. But you want to, A, have Pato in the series, but also have another guy competing, or gal, competing so you have more of a, a base to draw from. And, you know, I don't think Sergio Perez is coming to IndyCar anytime soon, if at all. So that option's kind of out the window. I don't see that being imminent, um, even within a couple years. So, yeah, I feel like maybe IndyCar wants to get in a better position with Mexican drivers before they return. But is it the chicken or the egg, right? Do you build the interest by going back? First, with Pato Award, or do you build up the amount of drivers in the series and in the road to Indy um, from from Central America before you do it? So the timing has to be right all around, but I think they're heading in the right direction. Do you think we have a race somewhere in Mexico before 2025? Yes. I thought you were going to say 2023, and I would say No. Yeah, well, obviously next year feels like it's out the window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even 2023, it kind of goes back to international races. It's like, I'll believe it when I see it, right? But similar to what Canada is, I don't feel like Mexico is that true international race. Do you think we have any sort of new race on the schedule? I I get that Iowa is announced, but other than Iowa, do you think we'll have any new race announced for next year? Whether it's domestic, Canada, Mexico. I say yes, because I feel that's one of the few reasons why we haven't seen the schedule yet. I would agree, only because Toronto, we've heard rumors that you know it's not coming back, even though it's supposed to come back, and it's been away for two years. The schedule's not announced, which normally it's announced around this time. At least in, in recent years, they've moved it up because they've nailed everything down with longer-term contracts. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think there's still some some things up in the air for IndyCar. Hopefully it's not, you know, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe we're looking at, at Portland this weekend as make or break for Portland. I don't know. I mean, that, that once again, that no um, no title sponsor scares me. So could that be the hang up? I don't know. But hopefully it's due to working on maybe at least one more addition to the schedule. All right. If you agree or disagree with us, we'd love for you to interact you can find us, NewTrackRecordPodcast.com is the website. While you're there, sign up for our weekly email list so you never miss an episode. You can also follow us on social media, like us on Facebook, search for New Track Record. On Twitter, our handle is IndyCar Podcast. And you can send us an email as well. We'll get to that in the following week's episode. Our email address is NewTrackRecordPodcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on many different podcasting platforms. Follow us for free. 
Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Okay, Justin, time for the mailbag. We have some stuff to get to. There's some things that we can talk about? Yeah, some things to get to. (laughs) So this from uh, Blown Apex, and it's... (laughs) B-L-W-N, then Apex. Uh, listening to the latest episode of IndyCar Podcast and hearing the Toronto Indy is basically all but done for is just so disappointing. And uh, Vicky Lynn 26 following that saying, I know Caleb mentions a few news outlets have supposedly said it won't be back. I can't find anything to support this. No news stories. Nothing on either Honda Indy Toronto's Facebook or Twitter nor Green Savory's pages. I always hope to get there someday, so I hope it's back in 22. Uh, Brock Bolton 77 says, please no. So disappointed Canadian fans. To be clear, uh, I said that uh, IndyCar Deep Throat told me that it sounds like the race is done. So not reporting it, but that's the rumor. That's the hot rumor around around uh, our the IndyCar internets. Deep Throat. Yeah, the, <laughs> the dark web but, of IndyCar internet. Yes. But, you know, not a guarantee yet, but it's just, you know, further... It, it isn't the one and only rumor we've heard about Toronto or anybody for that matter. This from B. Wilson underscore 27. Don't forget the fifth Sparifico brother, Dusty, who is night manager <laughs> for the Spooner Wisconsin Burger King. <laughs> yes. If you listened last week, you fully you, understand that joke. Yes, absolutely. If you did not, go back and listen. Go back and listen. Because it's worth your time. <laughs> Most definitely. But, uh, yeah, the uh, fifth Sparifico brother, never forget. Our apologies for failing to mention him. All right, so we got probably the most votes on a poll we've ever had. Good job, Caleb. Good job. I, I, I struck while the iron was hot. So NASCAR is dropping from two races to one at Pocono next year and simply asked, would you welcome IndyCar returning to the track? 82% of you said yes. 18% said no. Uh, on some of the replies on this poll, Nick J. Fletcher says, hopefully Cup demands PBJ for their one race, but only in the Indy turn. <laughs> uh, Jamin T14 says, yes, would probably slow the XF1 driver interest we have been seeing, but Nikar is always good at Pocono. You know, that's a that's a valid point. Yeah. The, the aero screen, though, to me has helped so much that I don't know how much of an impact it would have. I mean, if they're willing to race at Indy, you know, they see Indy and then they decide, oh, I want to race here. You would think they'd be willing to race at Pocono. Yeah, I would agree. I hope so. I mean, I think Pocono is going to be in need of something from two races to one race weekend for a couple when they had the doubleheader to now one race altogether. And, you know, the, the crowd wasn't bad at Pocono. You could say it was no. growing a little by little. And that was even with people complaining that it was next to no marketing and promotion for the race. So... I feel like it's an option for IndyCar to go back, to be honest. I would think you can't have anything off the table. I would agree. Just because, well, it, when you don't own <laughs> the you know, ISC, which is NASCAR, essentially, and then they have SMI, which also mostly runs NASCAR, some IndyCar tracks, but what, you have Texas... And what else? <laughs> uh, crickets. Like, honestly, like you look at who owns these tracks. Yeah, absolutely. It's not I, I mean, many options. I'm trying to think of, you know, Road America is not owned by them. Obviously, IMS 
No, you have street courses. That's separate. Uh, Green Savory owns Mid-Ohio. They don't own Portland. They promote it. They promote Toronto. St. Pete, obviously. Yeah. Barber is different. I, you know, honestly, what is Texas it really for SMI? There are no ISC tracks, if yeah, I'm not mistaken. Now. Well, you know, if, if we go by your theory, just Roger Penske should just buy the tracks and then <laughs> yeah. IndyCar race them. Yeah, there. That's he's easy a, solution. He's a billionaire. It's not my money. Yeah, it's just chump change, right? <laughs> million here, million there. Yeah, it's like slap down 20 bucks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, couch change, what you're finding in the couch. <laughs> uh, more responses on the possible return to Pocono. Daniel SEM 2004 says the crowd in 2019 was bigger than any other oval outside of Indy. I mean, I, uh, I don't know about that because gateway was, I think they were like 42,000 that year. Yeah. I think it was gateway there. I mean, there's more, maybe seats, less, more seats, in Pocono, but no, I, I, I think we could agree though. There's been more paltry oval crowds over the years than what we saw at Pocono. And also he he responded with, that was also with almost no promotion of the race by the Pocono guys. They were high on the hog a few years ago. Now they are struggling to get butts in the seats. They need to do a better job at race day promotion and entertainment. Yeah, that was the issue there. I mean, you you had like vintage car laps, and that was it. You didn't have Indy lights there. Nope. And nor should Indy lights race there, to be fair. Yeah, I but, I mean, you, you got to have something else going on. Yeah, I definitely agree. Got to have something, even if it's just like super trucks or something, right? Yeah. Uh, Kirk Fleener says, yes, please. Uh, Drunk at Indy uh, says, absolutely, IndyCar belongs at Pocono Raceway. It was built for IndyCars. I mean, that is true. Matt Klimpa says, 100% yes. Uh, Rob underscore McMahon, uh, just with the gif of the Captain Obvious saying yes. Mm -hmm. And then Rusty... On the app on Twitter says IndyCar won't go back unless the safer barriers raised to keep cars out of the fence to scary crashes in back to back years. Uh, you know, I don't disagree with the fact that there have been two scary tra- crashes, but what makes Pocono any different than Indy or Texas other than just pure bad luck, in my opinion? Yeah, Indy has had great luck. I, you know, and, 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 yeah, you know, I don't know. One well in recent years, right, 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 right. But you know, you have you know, the, you've solved the 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 issue that that cost Justin Wilson his life, right? And I feel like the Robert Wickens thing is it could have happened at any high speed track. Just so happened it happened at Pocono. On the Wilson incident, I mean the arrow screen. Oh yeah, would have saved his life. I mean, saved his life. Yeah, so that's solved. And I feel like you, you know, just unfortunately it was a, a sequence of events that put Robert Wickens into the wall the way he did in the fence. But he, it just as easily could have had it happened at Indy and just as easily could have happened at Texas. Yeah. It, I don't know. Do you, do you think ultimately, do you think they go back to Pocono in the next two or three years? I would say no. You don't think so? I think they do. I mean, Pocono has to exist as a racetrack. It needs events. It cannot be sustained with one cup race. 
a lot Can of it? I mean, a lot of tracks would beg to differ, but yeah. <laughs> if it's going to, but a lot of those tracks are part of SMI or whatever. Pocono's ISC. independent. True. You know, so one of the few. So either they're going to have to add more races or they're going to have to sell, I think, in the near future if all they have is one cup race. So that's my opinion. I, I think Pocono's back. If you say, if you give me 2024. Mm-hmm. Or before, I'll say yes. I don't think they're back next year. No. Because it's too late in the game. And they may not even be back in 2023. But I, I feel like by 2024, Pocono is back. And maybe that's just me being wishful thinking. I like your wishful thinking. Okay. That's good. <laughs> because, yeah. We'll see what happens with that wishful thinking. Uh, this courtesy of you. Me? Can't wait to talk about all the news and rumors from the past week. <laughs> there was literally like nothing. No yeah. news. Even, you know, even, uh, you know, our IndyCar Deep Throat was, you know, scraping the bottom of the barrel, it seems like. People are just quiet. And, and partly because I think until you get to the racetrack, you don't get a lot of these stories coming out. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, you know, the most disappointing thing has been Marshall Pruitt teased that silly season update that we're <laughs> still waiting for on. But, you know, in all honesty, with, with, with what happened to Robin and then, you know, Marshall's wife, you know, dealing with with her cancer coming back, I'm sure there's a lot going on behind the scenes. But um, it's still just been a little um, little lonely on the IndyCar news front, particularly when we're seeing all this stuff come out in Formula One. This from Kyle Mile on Twitter. Hearing anything on the 2022 schedule. So we mentioned last week about the possibility of a race in Mexico and kind of went through that. In fact, went through that earlier on this episode. Also mentioned Circuit Gilles Villeneuve could be possibly the replacement for Toronto if Toronto's not back for next year. Other than that, though, we're not hearing anything. It's been pretty quiet and... I would guess that the reason why the schedule is not out is simply they're still working on it for 2022. There are still adjustments to be made or confirmations to be made. Could it be a Portland thing? Uh, could it be a adding a new venue thing? Could it be working on a new contract thing? Could it be confirming that Toronto is done thing? Could be anything. Could be a combination of those. Yeah, I, I think they're just that's why we have the delay simply. And then Hunter's Way 67 with Pato putting up the cash for streaming the last three races in Mexico. Uh, is this a hint of a race down there next year? So, again, discussed that last week, discussed that earlier. Rumor is it's under consideration. I would be surprised if it happens for next year, but we'll see. And again, to clarify, the, the cash is for all the sessions to be available on Pato TV. The races are already available on that Claro TV or whatever, as far as the races go. Right. So this this way they get practice and qualifying. So, I mean, that's a big investment for more of a minor thing, but it is a way to draw in fans. For, you know, for reference, because we're wondering what the heck's taking so long with the schedule, is uh, the release of the 2019 schedule... Um, was made on September 4th, 2018. Okay. The announcement for the 2020 IndyCar schedule was made on September 1st, 2019. Or excuse me, yeah, 2019. And then let's see, for the 2021 
was announced, it looks like October 1st, 2020. So if we're going by last year, and I know that was contingent on a lot of different things, and maybe that's an outlier, um, you know, we're, we've got a ways to wait uh, if we're going by last year. But uh, right around this time, in 2018, 2019, the following year's schedule was announced. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think we're, you know, way behind. It's just we get a little antsy when we hit September. Yeah, I I, I think we'll know it by October 1st, right? You yeah. think so? Yeah, I, I, I would think agree. So. Yeah, but, you know, man, that's going to be a long month if we have to wait that long. We're impatient. Oh, yeah, among other things. <laughs> yeah. Most <laughs> that's, definitely. That's true. All right, as always, you can uh, send us your questions, comments, rants, whatever, via Facebook, via Twitter, or via email, and we'll get them to, uh, in the following week's episode. Okay, news and notes, not a whole lot to get to. Talking about schedule stuff and continuing on with that. Uh, Adam Stern I tweeted uh, the other day, NASCAR is set to announce their 2022 Cup Series schedule next week, per sources. And this is relevant. Why? Well, Stern uh, mentions among the notable moves, uh, Gateway. I love how he, he tags the official and then says, a.k.a. Gateway. Yeah. <laughs> Near I would St. Louis. the opposite. Gateway, a.k.a. <laughs> yeah. Is World expected to get a uh, cup race, while Pocono Raceway is expected to lose one. We talked about Pocono. I I know we've talked about Gateway in the past, about the possibility of them getting a, a cup date, which from what I have heard from a person with direct knowledge of the situation. <laughs> so, <laughs> someone who No, <laughs> not quite that level, but someone who definitely knows someone who has the say in this. Um, basically, this has been a done deal for a while, and it's finally going to get announced. But good, you know, good for Gateway. I mean, yeah, you uh, you hope this doesn't kill the IndyCar. As crowd. long as there's no PBJ issues, good for Gateway. But financially, it's a great thing for Gateway. So uh, it will not be relying on the IndyCar event to. I mean, you, we still want it to be a big thing, but you know, it just for the track, it gives them some financial security, at least you know during this current TV deal. Well, and especially with. IndyCar having super limited crowds last year, much smaller crowd this year. And, you know, people talked about they did less promotion. Obviously, there are people who probably stayed home who otherwise would have gone. Right. You know, I mean, a lot of, a lot did, of that, did that tap Nashville, into? Indy, you know, being within the previous two weeks, a lot of factors at play there. But like you said, this will be a huge event. I'm sure it'll sell out not only the main grandstand, but also turn one. I mean, you would think the demand is that high, right? I would think. Just you know, look at the good, the good news, and you know those those cup cars are going to look awfully slow, slow very at slow. Gateway. <laughs> just you know, hopefully there's no PBJ. Yeah, that that is the key thing. Okay, um, let's see. What oh, else can we one other from the bottom yeah, of the barrel here? Another mailbag week. tweet I missed from Poet Shevchenko. If you're having issues getting used to saying Circuit Gilles Villeneuve. You can call it Bell A O, like Bell Isle, you know, Canadian. <laughs> right. I thought that was funny. It took me a second a? to get it. Yeah, I got it. Well played. Uh, this from Motorsport IndyCar to review driver probation rules and start restart procedures in the off season, says series president Jay Fry. Uh, yes, please do, because it's yeah, been kind please. of a mess. It's, I mean, it's only like okay, you get put on probation, and then it's like yeah, I don't even know what that means. Like you know. <laughs> 
And so, yeah, clearing that up would be very nice. And then uh, this from the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach. Willie T. Ribs and Oriole Servia will be inducted into the Long Beach Motorsports Walk of Fame. So congrats to both of them. That'll be on Friday, September 23rd. I believe that's a Friday. No, that's actually, that's a Thursday. So Thursday, oh. September 23rd. Congrats to both of them. And Robert Wickens with an update saying, I've been getting a lot of messages lately asking where I've been. I'm here, still chipping away at it. Hope everyone's been doing well. Any videos in specific uh, you want to see from me? And he posted a video of him uh, working out at PitFit, our friends at PitFit. Yes. So, making progress. Looking good. Yeah. And that is it as far as news and notes. Hey. <laughs> so Man. it's time for our random split era driver of the week. All right. Tried to find somebody that uh, maybe was be somewhat familiar uh, in the early 2000s of the Indy Racing League. Uh, remember Corey Cruzman? Who? Yes. Success. <laughs> That's what I expect every week. Corey Cruzman uh, was a two-time Chili Bowl champion. Ooh, wow. Yeah. Big time. Uh, so, you know, they're saying, hey, we got to cross-promote. Uh, you know, cross promote. We need to get those Chili Bowl uh, com- competitors in the midget car racing and all that. Well, Corey Cruzman fit, it, fit that bill. And in the year 2002, he appeared in one IndyCar race. The number one parentheses. One. One. Uh, of course, with PDM Racing, Poor Dumb Mechanics, our favorite. <laughs> yes. Uh, was owned by uh, Paul Dyatlovich, which, uh, you know, had the, had the connection in USAC Silver Crown. So it made sense that uh, Corey Cruzman found his way uh, to the Poor Dumb Mechanic Racing team. But in the... Uh, in the IndyCar Series, raced one race. It was the second Texas race in the year 2002. He finished 26th in that race. It was his one and only IndyCar race, the 2002 Chevy 500 at Texas. He actually, this was another interesting uh, tidbit. He raced a handful of races. In fact, only had one real start in the Craftsman Truck Series in 2002 and 2003. And the team he raced for was Sealmaster Racing huh. is what it was called. Uh, it is now, and I don't know if it's if it's active. Thor Sport Racing. But Thor Sport Racing, um, which I don't know if it even exists anymore. I think it so, does. I think it's in the truck series still. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In fact, they're a really good team. Uh, the driver, Ben Rhodes, won the first two races of the season at Daytona yeah. and the Daytona Road Course. Yeah, so uh, of course you know Sealmaster on the car uh, for Dale Coin Racing. Uh, was it is it Ed Jones in the Sealmaster car? Yes, this year. So Sealmaster Racing didn't know that was a thing, but he he started one race. It was Phoenix in 2002. He did not qualify for the Homestead race in both 2002 and 2003. Um, but you know, back to IndyCar, one start, finished 26th, and um, that's pretty much it. But uh, he won. Um, the Chili Bowl twice. He was the 2002 USAC Indiana Sprint Sprint Week Championship champion, which is a big deal every summer. I yeah, think summer absolutely. So this is interesting to me. He was a frequent visitor to Australia to race midgets known as speed cars down under. He won the 2002-2003 Australian Speed Car Championship at the Speedway City in Adelaide. How about that? <laughs> 
So very interesting. And of course, Corey Cruzman, as 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 much as we know, is still with us. Currently operates the Corey Cruzman Sprint Car and Midget Driving School uh, in uh, in California. So there he is. I, I tried it because it's very difficult once you get into the early two thousands IndyCar to find drivers that are obscure and that we've never heard of. Uh, I was looking, I was trying to guess, you know, what year, and I was scanning through. I was looking at the 2000 uh, IRL season, sorry, the 2000 Indy Racing Northern Light Series uh-huh. season, and there are probably a half a dozen right away that I'm like, I've never heard of these Excellent. People. So we have a lot <laughs> more to get to. And I'll forget their names. Yeah, for sure. But uh, that that's one jumped out to me. Um, uh, was that one. So Corey Cruzman with uh, the Poor Dumb Mechanics, which that year... Uh, PDM Racing uh, didn't race had four had four different drivers and still only raced a part time schedule. Actually, yeah, four. So they had Tice Carlson, infamous Tice Carlson, in for two races. Jarrett Schroeder was in for one race. I remember him. John John Devry is it Devries Devry? I know who you're talking about. I'm not sure. He was in for one race, and then our our pal Corey Cruzman was in for one race. So. Three, four, five races, four drivers. That was the poor, dumb mechanics racing <laughs> performance in the Indy Racing League in 2002. So there you go, Caleb. Another week, another obscure split era driver of the week. This week, Mr. Corey Cruzman. I hope we can keep this going for a long time because it is so entertaining. It, it's to me. so entertaining, <laughs> fascinating, and. I mean, we got, what, 12 years to work with? Yeah, and you would think that's not a lot of drivers. Believe me, you go through some of these um, rosters for some of these years, it is amazing the amount of guys that got in a a seat. I mean, amazing. Guys you've never heard of and would would never hear of again. (laughs) And, you know, some of these guys that you stumble upon that they're, they're so good you can't even, like, hold back. Like, when we talk about Will Langhorn... Um, in the late two th- or early two thousands, that was a spot. He was a sponsored by Porsche. Yeah, these guys are amazing. There's the the, the stories just write themselves. <laughs> Maybe we'll get to Will Langhorn here one of these days. Had three starts in two thousand two. Another guy I've not game. heard of. Yeah, but was sponsored by Porsche, which is crazy. It's nuts, and he's an American guy. He was from DC. <laughs> it's crazy. All right. Well, with that, that is our random split era driver of the week. We'll be back next week with another driver that you probably never heard of. <laughs> well, you, Hopefully, we hope you've never heard. Fingers of. crossed on that. And sign out for tweets of the week before we wrap it up. These are F one related tweets, but I feel like they're just very relatable in general. Uh, first from Tony Dezeno, solid top twenty finish for Mazepin today. <laughs> you know, put it in the context of old school uh, cup when there was forty three cars, right? Sounds pretty good. But yeah. uh, you know, the the <laughs> I think it's a prerequisite that Haas drivers just absolutely can't stand each other, and maybe we overestimated. You know, you know Haas with Grosjean um, before because I think Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin just d- despise each other. Oh, for sure, and you know more so than teammates hate each other in Formula One, you know? I mean, there's just legitimate hatred there. And then the other tweet, courtesy of Aaron Tielitz, former uh, Indy Lights driver. I believe he's racing sports cars. 
I'm pretty sure there's a correlation between Lewis saying something about how bad his tires are and then him setting a new fastest lap uh, race lap <laughs> immediately after. That was the most exciting sequence of that entire race last weekend is Botas being told not to do the fastest <laughs> lap and then does. And then That was Lewis... like the most Botas thing that could happen <laughs> was that. And then uh, Lewis, you know, basically saying, oh, okay, and then beats it by almost a second. Yeah, easily on the final lap, and they took the risk. I mean, you think about how crazy it is, and Lewis, I think, said after, I forget the exact quote about that whole fastest lap thing, and Lewis said, like, I, I didn't care. Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> like, I, like, yeah, it's... He was hilarious. so indifferent to it. <laughs> Absolutely. But um, other than that, that was a pretty forgettable race. I, I think Zanvort is a pretty cool track. It's unique, you know, with the bank turns and everything. But, man, it's just it's not conducive to much overtaking at all. In F1, now, Renus VK was lobbying for Zanvort for IndyCar someday. Yeah. Which I think it'd be an excellent race for IndyCar. Which, you know, I, I know that there was at least one driver um, in Formula One, I can't remember who it was, was quoted as saying something like, you know, you, for a couple seconds, you feel like an IndyCar driver going through the turns, you know, with the, with the banking and everything. Was it Alonzo? I don't think it was Alonzo. It was somebody else that has not raced in IndyCar, but I can't remember who it was. Interesting. Yeah. Well, we'll be back next week to recap. Finally, a race. We have Portland on the schedule this weekend, the first of the final three races of the NTT IndyCar Series season as it wraps up here in 2021. So we'll be back with a race recap next week. For Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. Thanks for joining us on New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.